Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. One of the best things about being a dad is definitely giving gifts to my little girl. My little girl, Esther, she is 14 months old. Uh, she's about to be 15 months old. And this past Christmas was our first Christmas, real Christmas together as a family. I say real Christmas because she was with us last year, but she was only a couple weeks old, so she couldn't really enjoy it. She just kind of laid there and we did all of the gifts. But, but this year, this year, whenever the gifts were under the tree, she, she was ready. She, she knew, hey, something's happening, right? She, she, she anticipated it. She saw Look, those, those gifts under there. I think those gifts were me. And so on Christmas, she was, she was very excited. How many of you are parents? How many of you remember the first birthday, Christmas, holidays, right, that you were able to give gifts to your kids? Do y'all remember that? Do you remember how exciting that was? Okay, then you also remember what happened next, that you spent all that time, all that money, all that energy, all that effort going to the mall and, and picking out gifts on Amazon, and you stay up all night, and you're wrapping the presents, and then you give it to the kid, and the kid unwraps it, and the kid plays with everything other than the presents. Do you know that? Like they're playing with the, the paper and the boxes and they're chasing the cat around the house. Like they would rather play with everything except for what you actually gave them. I told, I told Ashley that our next kid, they're not getting any gifts until they're like five, right? And she quickly shot that down. But that's, that was my recommendation because the kid, they, they wouldn't even notice it. They'd just be perfectly content playing with, you know, this empty box. And, and so I, and this, this really dawned on me whenever we were at Ashley's parents' house. Uh, over the Christmas break, Ashley's parents are grandparents for the first time and you know grandparents spoil the grandkids that's their job and, and so they, they went all out for her. They, they bought games they bought books they bought clothes they bought you know uh, all these different gifts and, and they had them all kind of laid there big big stockpile full of just just gifts for Esther and as we unwrapped all the gifts just in a couple of minutes afterwards she was completely quiet and parents you also understand when the kids quiet right? They're up to no good. And so I'm like, well, okay, where's, where, where's Esther at? And, and I went into the dining room and, and there she was. And she was, she was laughing and she was playing and she was perfectly happy running around with the dirty diaper. Like <laughs> that's what she wanted to play with out of all of the gifts. That's what she, she wanted to play with. She wanted to play with the, with, with the diaper. Now you could say, Byron, um, are you upset about that as her, as her father? No, I'm not upset about that because I knew I'd be preaching this sermon and I thought this is going to make for a great illustration. <laughs> And this is going to make for a great illustration over the introduction of the spiritual gifts. Because that's kind of the way that we treat our spiritual gifts sometimes. That our Father has a gift for us, and we don't really understand it. We don't really know it, and we don't know that it's available for us. That many of us, we treat our spiritual gifts the same way that Esther treated her Christmas gifts. And here's the truth. That God is a Father, that God loves us, and God gives us spiritual gifts. And the problem is, is that many of us were unaware of what these gifts are, that we don't know what they are, we don't understand them, or we simply don't care. But here's my question. If God is good, and if God does give good gifts, isn't that something we should want? If God says, hey, I love you, and I want you to have this, and I want to bless you with this, and it's already yours, isn't that something we should get excited about? Isn't that something we should be passionate about? Isn't that something that we should explore and anticipate, and we, we want to understand? And so we're going to start, um, in our Holy Spirit series, we're going to start a, a four-week study through 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, looking at the spiritual gifts. 
Understanding that God has a gift for us, and he wants us to use it for his glory and for the good of others. And so we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at the spiritual gifts, what they are, what they look like, how are they to operate in a church, and what it means for us here at Redemption to discover and to explore and to operate in the spiritual gifts for the future of our church. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Did y'all like that story for Esther? Right? That was, that was pretty cute, right? One day she's going to listen to the podcast. She's going to be totally embarrassed. Okay, but for now, she makes for great material. But okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, and we're going to look at Paul's teachings on the spiritual gifts. Here's what he says in verse 1. Now, concerning the gifts, brothers, he's writing to Christians, okay? Brothers, sisters, anyone who believes in Jesus is a part of the family of God. God's the Father. We're the family. Brothers. I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, let's go ahead and let pause right here, okay? Uh, I promise you we'll get through all 31 verses, but, but I need to do a little historical setup so we can better understand why Paul is writing this. Who are the Corinthians? What's the context? And so just a little, little background. Um, he's writing to the church of Corinth, and that's in the city of, of Corinth. Now, Corinth is a very interesting place. It's a very large port city, very metropolitan, very, uh, very populated city, very urban, very arty very cool, right? They made a lot of money. They had a lot of influence and affluence. It was a pretty big city. And, and it, was also, it was also kind of weird. It was a weird city. So when you think about Corinth, just think about Austin. Like that's, that's, that's a good correlation between the two. And so, so Austin, Corinth, okay. And, and in order for you to worship, like this is how they worship. They had temples to gods all across the city. And if you wanted to worship, uh, what you would do is you would go into the temple, you'd get drunk, and then you'd have sex with a prostitute, and that's their Sunday morning worship. That's kind of the way and the, the rituals that people were being brought up in. And so everybody was drunk and everybody was making a lot of money and everybody was you know, eating and everybody was you know, having sex with everyone and everything. And that's, that's, that's the city of Corinth. And so Paul goes into Austin, I mean Corinth, and he goes in and he says, uh, he goes, hey, let's start talking about Jesus. So he goes into the city, he begins to preach about Jesus, and he begins to teach about Jesus, and people start getting saved, and people start getting baptized, and they join community groups, and then they plant a church, and then Christianity, it begins to spread all across the region. But people don't come out of that sort of background without having a lot of questions. Many of you, you have a lot of questions when it comes to faith. I want you to know that's okay. And so people are getting saved, and they're coming, they're coming to Paul, and they're like, hey, Paul, I got a bunch of questions when it comes to faith. Okay, so, so what can we do? Right? Can, can we do this? Paul's like, probably not the best idea. He's like, well, can we do that? It's like, no, that's, that's not a very good idea either. They're like, well, can we get drunk on the communion wine? No, you can't do that. Like, can we be, eat all the bread before the poor people get here? No, you can't do that. Hey, whenever they pass the plate, can we just take the money out for ourselves? No, you, you, can't, you can't do that. Do we have to talk about Jesus? Yeah, that's kind of important. Can we have sex with our mom? No, probably not the best. True story. It's in there. Read your Bible. And, and so this is the problems that's happening at the church of Corinth. And so Paul hears about all the things that are happening and all the questions that, that they're asking him, and he sits down and he writes a letter, and that's the letter of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is really just a letter addressing and answering some of the questions that this church was asking and what this church was going through. And one of the big questions that they had in regards to coming to understand Jesus and what it means for them to be a church, one of the big questions was in regards to the spiritual gifts. And so Paul's writing to them about the spiritual gifts, and he says this. He says, brothers, 
I don't want you to be uninformed. The Greek word there, uninformed, is actually ignorant. Paul's basically saying like, you guys are idiots and you're driving me crazy. Stop being so ignorant. Okay, the modern translation's a lot nicer, but that's my translation. That's basically what he says. Like when it comes to the gifts, you're you're ignorant. And so Paul catches wind of all of the, the weird things that are happening in his church and he's trying to correct them. Now, if Paul were to walk into our churches today, okay, I think that he would probably say the similar thing because there's a lot of teachings in regards to the spiritual gifts. Not are all good, not are all healthy, not are all beneficial, not are all God glorifying. There, there's a lot of people, you come into the church and, and they, they elevate the gifts above God himself and others, they just diminish the gifts as if they don't come from God at all. And, and some people, they, they talk about it and some people, they, they don't talk about it. Some people, it's all about the gifts and all about the, okay, and then some people are like, we don't talk about that because when that happens, things get weird. And so there's a lot of conflict, there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of contention in regards to the spiritual gifts. And if Paul were to walk into the modern church in America, I think he would probably have some of the same words. He would say, brothers... I don't want you to be uninformed. And so Paul's going to teach over the spiritual gifts. Now, where do you think Paul's going to start in regards to the spiritual gifts? What do you think he's going to start? He's going to say, okay, okay, church at Corinth, right? Redemption. Okay, one, two, three, everybody speak in tongues. Do you think he's going to do that? Do you, think, do you think he's going to come in and be like, okay, get your praise banner. Everybody get your tambourines, right? We're going, we're going to run seven laps around, and then everybody's just going to prophesy at the same time, and we're going to hit people on the head, flop on the floor like a fish, and then everybody's just going to get healed. Okay, do you think that's what he's going to say? Do you think that's what he's going to do? It's not where he starts. Paul starts somewhere else, okay? He doesn't start there. Paul starts with Jesus. Paul says, if you want to understand the spiritual gifts then you need to know who Jesus is because it's all about Jesus. If you miss this, then you miss everything. That in order to understand the spirit, you gotta start with Jesus. And so here's what he says in regards to Jesus. You know that when you were pagans, this is non-believers, that you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The drum that we've been beating, hammering over and over again through the course of this series is the trick to understanding the Spirit is not to start with the Spirit, but rather to start with Jesus because the whole goal of the Holy Spirit is to make much of and to glorify Jesus. And so if you want to understand, you want to know, you want to grow, you want to you, you experience the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, Okay, then first, you got to start with Jesus. Okay, this is where John started. This is where, this is where Luke started. And this is the same place that Paul starts because he says it's only, solely, totally, always because of Jesus. And if you're here at Redemption and this is your first time or if you're new, I want you to understand that we love Jesus. And at our church, we talk about Jesus a lot. We preach Jesus. We, we study about Jesus. We read our Bibles about Jesus. We get in community groups where we can, where, where we can grow in our relationship with God and others so that way we can be like Jesus. We love Jesus. And so let's just start off like Paul and let's just, let's just talk about Jesus. Okay, you, Jesus is God. Okay, he over and over again through the course of his life and his ministry, he undoubtedly, undeniably, unequivocally declared himself to be God. Jesus is God. He is the second member of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He existed in eternity past, co-equal, co-eternal with God, with mutual relationship, harmony, unity, adoration, love, and affection, perfectly satisfied within himself. Jesus is God. And God created 
everything. That God made everything it is that we see, that we touch, that we taste, that we feel, that we sense. God made the universe. God made the galaxies. God made the stars. God made the trees. God made the the mountains. And God made man. And God made us out of his image and likeness. And that we were created so that way we can be in relationship with him. But our first parents, Adam and Eve, they sinned, they fell, they rebelled, and they separated us from God. The relationship has been fractured. The relationship has been broken. And this world is not the way that it should be. And so God, out of his great love for us, sends his son Jesus from heaven to earth to enter into this world on a rescue mission to seek and to save the lost, to, to, to preach and to teach and to, to bring sinners into a reconciled relationship with them so that way we can be forgiven. And then Jesus goes to the cross where he, he dies the, per, the perfect death, the painful death, the death that you and I deserve because of our sin. He goes into the grave. He resurrects from the grave so that way we can be forgiven. Jesus conquered death, Satan, sin, hell, the grave. Jesus did all of that so that way we could be forgiven. He gives us grace. He gives us hope. He gives us mercy. He gives us redemption. And then Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father where he gives us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, God comes to indwell inside of you. If you belong to Jesus, you are indwelt filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives you gifts to enable you, to empower you, not just to overcome sin, so that way also that you can live for him. And so God sends us Jesus. Jesus dies for our sins, rises, ascends, and then sends the Holy Spirit. And so the trick to understanding the Spirit is to start with Jesus because it's all about Jesus. And we love Jesus. We serve Jesus. We worship Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. And one of the best ways that we can learn to be like Jesus is by discovering our spiritual gifts. One of the best ways we can learn to be like Jesus is by exploring and by discovering and by cultivating the gifts that he gives us through the Holy Spirit. And so Paul, he starts with Jesus but very quickly, he, he moves into the gifts. And so we're going to be talking about these spiritual gifts that, that Paul lists. And here's what I want to do. Okay, 1 Corinthians is basically questions that, that Paul asks, or the Corinthian church asks. So I just want to pull a, a page from the Apostle Paul, and I just want to ask five questions in regards to spiritual gifts. So today we're going to do five questions in regards to spiritual gift. And here's, here's the first question. Okay, it's an important question. Who gets the gifts? Here's what he says in verse 4. There are a variety of gifts. So today we're looking at nine gifts total. But there are other lists of gifts. Okay, um, Romans chapter 12, uh, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Peter 4, um, and Ephesians 4 is the list of gifts. Some say there's about 28, but there's no real guarantee of what the amount is of the gifts because God gives different ones particularly as necessary. But today, we're going to be studying the nine that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's what he says. There's a variety of gifts. So there's lots of different gifts, but there's the same Spirit. Okay, the Holy Spirit gives the gifts. And there is a variety of services that each person with a gift serves for a different purpose, but we all have the same Lord. So there might be a different purpose, but they're all equally important. There might be a different purpose, but they're all important because they come from the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities. So some of you, you're going to use your gifts and you're going to use them in a more um, visible way. And so maybe you'll be on stage. Maybe you'll, you'll preach. Maybe you'll teach. Maybe you know, you'll ha- be, have a more visible role. Others of you, it's going to be more behind the scenes. So you're going to serve 
kind of in welcome, maybe in administration. Lord, please, yes, administration. Um, and, and you might be working on setup or tear down. Maybe you'll be working in the kids. You'll be using your gifts more behind the scenes. Doesn't mean you're not as valuable. Doesn't mean it's not as important. It is equally important, but they just have difference. Do you see what I'm saying? And so there's different activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Okay, if you are a Christian, you've received a spiritual gift. All Christians have spiritual gifts. You could say, but I don't believe in the gifts. Too bad you got one anyway. All Christians have received a spiritual gift. At the moment of salvation, God the Spirit indwells inside of you, and then he gives you at least one spiritual gift. I truly believe that. Every Christian has at least one spiritual gift that God gives you on salvation. And, and it's not just for pastors. It's not just for deacons. Spiritual gifts are not just for, for elders or for leaders. Spiritual gifts are for everyone. This is one of the things that drives me crazy about, you know, the charismaniac churches is because they'll take, oh, oh, this person's very gifted, and then they'll elevate them above everybody else. And they'll say, oh, that person, they have the gift. I need to go to them. Oh, they're, they're so anointed. They're so holy. They're, they have better access to God than me. Not true. Right? Just, you don't have to go just because, uh, uh, because they're the anointed one. No. Jesus is the anointed one, and then, and then we receive that anointing through the Holy Spirit. And, and so, so we all have it. They don't have more access to God, you know, because of their gift than us common folk, right? We've all received spiritual gifts. And so here's what Paul says. Paul says, who's received the gifts? Every, okay, come on, guys. What's that word? Everyone. So, so who gets the gifts? Everyone. You know what that word is in the Greek? Everyone. Everyone gets the gifts. And, and so, so God gives, and then all Christians receive a spiritual gift. The second question is this. Why do we need the gifts? Verse 7. To each, you, me, everyone who loves Jesus, is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So why do we need spiritual gifts? Paul says it's for the common good. Okay, you need to understand this. Okay, the, the spiritual gifts are, are blessings from God, but they're not necessarily a blessing for you. They're a blessing from God to you, so that way you can be a blessing for others. Okay, the spiritual gifts are blessings from God to you so that way you can be a blessing to others. Yes, it's true that God loves his kids and it's true that God gives good gifts, but he doesn't want his kids to be selfish. That God wants us to share. And so when you're using your gifts, Paul says it's for the common good. The more you learn, the more you grow, the more you cultivate your spiritual gifts and you operate in those, more people meet Jesus, more people get saved, more people get baptized, the church continues to grow, and the good news of Jesus spreads across the world because we use our gifts for the common good. He says here, uh, manifestations of the Spirit. Okay, let's just think back to last week when we talked about, about, about Jesus' life. Okay, how did Jesus live his life? How did Jesus live his life? How did Jesus preach with passion, teach with authority? How did Jesus heal? How did Jesus cast out devils? How did Jesus perform signs, wonders, and miracles? How did Jesus live his life? The answer is by the power of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus lived his life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that same power that enabled him is available to us today. And so what was the purpose of Jesus' life? To love others. That Jesus lived his life to glorify God and to love others. You need to understand, the spiritual gifts are not designed to terminate on yourself. It's not about you. It's not because of you. It's not what you can do or what you want or what makes you feel happy. It's not about what gives you warm and fuzzy feelings. When you get to do that thing you always really like to do, that's not the purpose of the gift. The purpose of the gift is so that way you can serve others. 
so that way you can, can love others. And that when you use your gift, then we're able to see God be glorified and other people be served. Paul says, who gets the gifts? Everyone. Why? For the common good. And, and so that leads us into the third big question. Well, what are the spiritual gifts? Well, what are they? I mean, if it's everyone and the common good, then, then, then what are they? And so here Paul lists nine spiritual gifts, and I'm just going to read it all, and then we'll unpack it on the back end. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues, and all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So God the Holy Spirit sovereignly distributes the spiritual gifts as he wills, as he sees as he sees fit. And so that brings us to the big question, well, what is a spiritual gift? I find it's very helpful to start by defining our terms, so go ahead and throw that up. This is the simplest, best definition that I've read over what a spiritual gift is. And basically, this is it. This is a guy named Sam Storms. He says this. I love his book, Practicing the Power, um, and, and I'll post on the Connect page uh, via Facebook uh, a bunch of resources and articles over the spiritual gifts. So if you're not connected on our Connect page, just go ahead and sign up and we'll get you connected to the Connect page. Anyway, um, Sam Storms in Practicing the Power, he says, the enabling presence of the Holy Spirit operating through his people. The enabling presence of the Holy Spirit operating through his people. That's the best definition I've read, that it's the Spirit of God working through the people of God. We believe that God still works, and when God works in us and through us, that's us operating and using our spiritual gifts. That's basically all it is. It's nothing fancy, it's nothing weird, and it's nothing to be afraid of, that if we believe that God still works and we want to work with God, then we do so by making much of our Lord and using our gifts. And so, here, Paul, he lists nine spiritual gifts. Okay, you say, that sounds like a lot. Okay, well, it kind of is. You say, that sounds like it's going to take a while. It, it might. But here's nine spiritual gifts that Paul's going to list. I find it very helpful to break it into three main categories. The, um, the discerning gifts, the declarative gifts, and then the dynamic gifts. Okay, three categories, nine gifts. We'll start with the discerning gifts. First is the gift of wisdom. Okay, for the gift of wisdom, this is a person who has the, uh, the ability to, uh, to take complex situations or scenarios and, and make it simple. So all of the discerning gifts is, is when God gives a particular wisdom, knowledge, or insight into a Christian that previously would have been unknown, so that way they can better serve others. And the first is, he mentions, is the gift of wisdom. And so they can make things just extremely simple in very supernatural ways. And so what this kind of looks like is, say, let's say you got a big decision. Maybe there's a big, you know, life circumstance that's happening and, and you want prayer and so you find somebody who might have the gift of wisdom and you go to them and, and they pray for you and, and as they're praying over you um, and, and they're like, hey, you know, I kind of had this idea. I was praying. Have you considered this? And they're like, I haven't considered that at all. That sounds like a pretty good option, right? How come I didn't think about that? It's probably because you needed a word of wisdom. And these people, they, they pray and, and, and God gives them wisdom like James says, that if anybody lacks wisdom, let them ask and, and God gives and so they, they pray and then they speak wise counsel into another person's life. And, um, and, and they make great counselors. They make great prayer team leaders. And they, they make really good friends, especially in community groups. And I, I love the, the gift of wisdom. My wife actually, um, she operates in this gift. 
that she has the, the gift of wisdom, and that's good because I'm so foolish, but she has the gift of wisdom, and, and I'll tell you a story that happened years, years ago. Um, we were new Christians, and we were just discovering all of this stuff, uh, and we had a community group, and um, I, Ashley was standing there, and she saw my friend, and she was like, hey, can I pray for you? And he was like, oh yeah, that's, that's cool, I mean, and so she's kind of praying for him, and um, she says, no, can I, can I pray for your feet? And he's like, well, that's kind of weird. But yeah, go ahead. And so she gets down her hands and knees and she lays her hands on his feet and she she begins praying for him and she says, you have a big decision that you feel like you need to make, but God's saying he's already in it. And so when you take a step, he's going to be right there. And wherever you go, you're going to bring light. So whatever you decide to do, that's best. God's already there. Well, see, we didn't know this, but he was already thinking about moving and he'd already been in conversation with another guy about moving across the country. And in that moment, God kind of gave her a word, but then there was application that came along with the word. He stepped out, he moved all the way across the country. Within three months, he met the girl who's going to be his wife. They got married and they moved again. And now they have a business and his life changed forever because Ashley received a word of wisdom. And that's, that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. And I, I, I I'm praise God for that. And so that's kind of the word of wisdom. And the second is the word of knowledge, okay? Um, people get word of wisdom and word of knowledge kind of confused because they're very similar, uh, but there is, there is a difference. See, see, wisdom involves the application. Knowledge is, is about the information. Okay, wisdom is application. Knowledge is information. And a person who receives a word of knowledge or a gift of knowledge okay, is, is a person who receives divine revelation so that they can share and serve another person about a specific situation, person, or insight. Does that make sense? So they receive divine revelation about a person or a situation and they share it to better serve another person. Sometimes I operate in this. Okay, uh, this happened... Um, a couple of months ago here at the church uh, during worship, I believe in the first service. So during worship, I'm, I'm standing over here, songs going, like kind of doing my Jesus thing and um, worshiping, praying, preparing my heart. And then I feel like the Lord wants to say something. And so I go, okay, God, like, hey, I'm listening. What, do you, what is it you want to say? Um, and he, he said, somebody this week prayed. They want to fully surrender their life to me, but they're not sure if I exist. I want to meet with them. So I'm like, okay. So you want, you want to just jump up there? Like, do you, do you want me to stand in the front? Like, stop the music? Like, how do you want you to just go? Up there? So I come up here, I stand at the front. I pause. I'm like, God, you better be, this better be real. So I go, okay. Someone this week prayed that they want to surrender their life to Jesus, but they're not sure if he exists. God heard that prayer and he wants to meet with you. I'll be over there. And everybody's kind of like, and then a guy look, looked and just beeline straight to the altar and we got to pray with him before the sermon ever started. And, and so that guy like, you know, gave his life to Jesus. Like that guy got connected. Okay. Because there was a word of knowledge. Anybody ever receive one of those? Everybody, any of that ever happened to you? It's pretty cool when it happens. It, it, it's pretty cool. And so that's the word of knowledge. And the third is a word of, or a gift of discernment. Now this gift, this gift gets a bad rap. Okay. Because oftentimes people are like, oh, I have the gift of discernment. I can tell whether people are genuine or authentic or fake, right? That's not the gift of discernment. That's judgment. Okay. Totally different, like wrong team. Okay. You can't be a jerk for Jesus. You don't have discernment. You have jerk. That's, that's what it's called. You can't be like, oh, did you meet Tim? Or do you meet like Tom or, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I, I really like him. And he was like, oh, well, you know, I have the gift of discernment. Like, I don't really like that guy. No, that's not discernment. That's being a jerk. Right? Don't, don't do that. 
So discernment is different than judgment. So you just need to know that. Um, discernment is actually whenever, uh, called distinguishing of spirits. So this is when a person can determine whether there's demonic activity or presence in a situation or in a person, or maybe even a place. So are demons real? Okay. We believe so. Yes, demons are real. Is everything that bad happens to you caused by a demon? No, right? Just because you get a flat tire doesn't mean that there's a demon of tires going around poking holes in your good years. That's not the way this works. But there are real demons, and, and, and demons are very active. And the person with the distinguishing spirits is able to tell whether a person's afflicted and what's happening in a person or a situation or even a place. They can sense the presence of the demonic. And, and these people are, are, are just wonderful gifts to a church because, because they love to serve. And they serve very specifically in places like inner healing and deliverance ministries. They serve in places um, like spiritual warfare and intercession. And, and they love to pray and they love to serve and they love to be with people who are hurting people who are broken, people who are walking through addictions, walking through struggles, hurts, and hardships because they can sense and get to the root cause of problems and pain in a person's life. This is a tremendous gift. Um, and, and that's called the distinguishing of spirits or discernment. And all these are the discerning gifts where God gives you particular wisdom, knowledge, or insight into a person's situation or maybe something that's happening. And so the second is the declarative gifts. Now these gifts, these gifts are highly debated. Okay, these gifts, uh, people get really you know, fired up when discussing these gifts because they're divisive, they're debated, like they, they just cause a lot of contention in, in people and churches. Churches are split, denominations are broke over this because, because people don't really know, like how do these work, how do these operate, what do these look like in the life of a church? And Paul spends a lot of time in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 really addressing primarily the declarative gifts. And, and here's what I mean by declarative, it's prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. Okay, that, that's the dec they're more vocal. That's why, because you have to speak them. The others kind of happen in wisdom and knowledge. This happens more vocally. And so first is prophecy, okay? Um, by prophecy, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean Old Testament prophecy, okay? You, there, there will never be another Old Testament prophet. There will never be the office of the prophet. The office of the prophet is closed. There will never be another Elijah. There will never be another Moses. There will never be another Ezekiel. Like that's, that's over. And so that means you can't come up and say, thus saith the Lord, because that office is closed, right? There is no thus saith the Lord. You will never write the book of the Bible, right? There's never gonna be the book of Karen, right? So it's never gonna be equal to the Bible. It's never gonna be contradictory to the scripture. That's closed, so if you come up and you're like, thus saith the Lord, and you want to be old school prophet, we'll treat you like old school prophet. Because in the old school, right, if you were a false prophet, you were a dead prophet. That's the way that it works. And so if you come up, you're like, thus saith the Lord, we test you according to the Bible, and if it's wrong, you get stoned. And not like they do in Colorado, but like they do in Deuteronomy, right? It's different. And so the office is closed. No more thus saith the Lord. That's not the way this works. But I do believe that the gift of prophecy is still available and still in operation today. And here's what prophecy basically is. That it's, um, it's, it's, it's a human report of divine revelation. It's a human report of divine revelation. So basically God speaks, you listen, and then you just tell somebody else. That's it. It's not weird. It's not crazy, right? It's not anything to be you know, ashamed or afraid of. It's basically God speaks, you listen, and then you tell somebody else what God says. And this is a great gift. This is a gift that, that, that I, I love. Now, I don't really operate in this gift, but, but I have received words, uh, and they become very, very helpful to me. I'll, I'll give you one that really just changed my life. Uh, so, as I said a few weeks ago, 
at the beginning of this series, um, Ashley and I had a miscarriage. And we spent five years begging, praying, pleading with God, Lord, please give us another kid. And it never happened. And, and we would pray and nothing would happen. And we'd believe and we'd get our hopes up and then, and then nothing would happen. And over time, I just, I just became very discouraged. It's like, I guess we're never going to have a kid, right? I just came to the conclusion that I'm just going to be planting churches and being poor for the rest of my life. That was, that was my plan. And I had just basically just, just given up. And um, we would go to churches and we'd go to uh, church events and, 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 you know, we'd go visit other friends. And everywhere, every time, oftentimes, people would pray for us and they'd say, oh, we believe that God's going to give you a child. And I'm praying that God would open up your womb and I, I prophesy into your future, a kid. And, and for every word that never came true, I just became more bitter. Just getting bitter, just getting really frustrated. And we'd go and people were like, oh, you know, I'm believing for you. And I'm like, oh, I got a word for you. I'm like, if one more person has a word for me, I have a word for them. And it's not a good word. <laughs> it does not come from the Lord. It comes from something else. But I have a word for you, right? That, that's your pastor. And so I just became very, I just became very bitter towards it all. Right, because it, nothing would happen, and just people, just, I'm just like, I'm done. I don't, I don't want this. And, and so one day, I was visiting my, my friend and, uh, up at the church that she works at, and I, I come around the corner, and I see her, and then she just kind of pauses. Her name's Karen. She's great. And um, she did not write a book of the Bible either. But um, so I, she pauses, and I'm like, okay, that's weird. And she kind of comes up to me, and she says, hey, I'm, I know this is strange, um, I just, I just feel like I need to tell you something. I'm like, okay. She said, well, are, are you in, is Ashley pregnant? I was like, well, no. She's like, is Ashley, are y'all trying? I'm like, yeah, I have five years, right? Um, and she's like, I, I don't know. I just need to tell you this because when I saw you, you were holding a little girl. And I believe that this time next year, you're going to have a little girl. Okay, now listen, I know this woman. Like, she's not crazy. I have a relationship with her, right? I, I, I care about her. We work together. We spend two hours a week together, okay? So, so she tells me this, and I say, okay. I say, I trust you, so I'm going to receive that. And she said, I, I don't know. You just do what, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray with you. And, and so we prayed. That was in November of 2015. My little girl was born in November 2016. 2017, Sorry. That happened. I, I, can't, I can't deny it. I know that that happened. Now, that's the exception. That's not the rule. Okay, so I don't want to hear people going around saying prophesying babies, right? Prophesying marriage into people, right? I, I don't want to hear that, you know, because, because that's the exception. That's, that's not the rule. Okay, unless you have relationship with that person, unless you are darn sure that you heard from the Lord and you're willing to walk with them in prayer every single day along the way, don't do that. Right? Because it starts, you don't have that relationship, don't do that. Because you can cause hurt, you can cause a lot of pain, you can cause a lot of devastation and damage and frustration in a person. But I knew this woman, and, and she spoke this word, I received it, and it happened. For as much bitterness and, and frustration and jaded that I had towards the gifts, I can't deny that. And, and, and so this woman, I praise God for her, that she, she had the faith to step out and say something that could have been embarrassing for her. And, and she, she stepped out and she did it, and I, pr I praise God for that. And I praise God for this gift because it's a beautiful gift. Now, some of you, some of you may have the, the gift of prophecy, okay? And, and here's what I've discovered, that prophecy and humility, they go hand in hand. 
Prophecy and humility, they go, they go hand in hand. People who go around like, I'm a prophet, like probably are not prophets. Okay? People who go around like, this is me, probably not. But if, you, if a person's humble, if a person hears from the Lord, then the gift of prophecy may be in there for them. Humility and prophecy, they, they go hand in hand. And the second one is this, tongues. Everybody's favorite, right? Let's talk about tongues because this is already weird enough. Let's just do that. Um, so, so tongues. Uh, when people think about tongues, what they fail to understand is that there's actually three types of tongues mentioned in Scripture. There's actually three. There's a missionary language, there's a private prayer language, and then there's the public language. So the first is, is the missionary language. This is what we see in Acts chapter 2. We talked about that last week. When the Holy Spirit fell on Pentecost, they got tongues of fire, right? And they began to pray in tongues. And then people all around, they begin to hear them in their own native language. This is the, the missionary gift. And, and, and so this, this, this gift is so, say, say you want to share the gospel with somebody. Maybe you're going overseas, but you don't know the language. In that moment, God could give you the ability to speak that language. Okay? It's the missionary gift. You say, Byron, that sounds insane. It does, and it's awesome. Um, this happens, okay? I, we talk, I talked to one of our missionaries that we support here as a church uh, a couple of weeks ago. He told me that um, he, he's in the Middle East. Okay? He's a church planter in the Middle East, uh, underground illegal churches. And they had a pastor from Iran come visit to be trained. And, and he told me that they were gathering around praying for this pastor, and the Iranian pastor turned and looked at him and said, when did you learn to speak Farsi? He doesn't. He, he doesn't speak it. So, so God gave him the ability in that moment. So because of your generosity, we have a missionary praying in missionary languages. So it, it happens. It happens. So, so thank you for that. And, and so that's, that's the missionary gift. Okay, it's rare, but, but it does happen. The, the second is the private prayer language. This is what, this is what most people have. Okay, most people have a, have a private prayer language, and this is when they, they pray to God their spirit directly to God through the spirit. Okay. Sometimes you don't know what to say. Sometimes you don't know what to pray. Sometimes you're just, you just can't keep, keep praying. And so God, through the spirit, your spirit, prays directly through God. And that's, that's the private prayer language. Okay. And some people are like, oh, that sounds, ins- that, that sounds really crazy. People who pray in tongues, right, they're uneducated or, or, or they're demon-possessed. Well, Paul says, I speak in tongues more than any of you. And, and he wrote you know, half of the New Testament, so I don't think he was crazy. And I definitely don't think he's demon-possessed. And then Paul also says, I wish that you would all speak in tongues. And so it's, it's kind of a thing. Okay. And it's a, it's a private prayer language between a person and God. I have this gift. It's been one of the most beneficial helpful gifts in my life, being able to pray in my private prayer language, because I, I love to pray. Yeah, I, I love praying. Um, I'm just not very good at it, right? My prayers are like, help and bless this food, amen. Like, that's my prayers. Um, I'm not a good prayer. I, I, I love praying, though. I love praying for you, and I love praying for our church, and I love praying for people who, who, who don't know Jesus, and, and so I want to be a better prayer, and, and so God gave me this gift so that way I, I could pray. And sometimes I pray for five or 10 minutes. Sometimes I'm just kind of like walking around praying. Sometimes I could pray for two hours, just praying in the spirit. So that way, because it's God, through praying directly to God through my spirit. It, it's a great gift. Um, and it, it's not one to be despised. It's not one to be like, oh, that's strange, right? I can tie my shoes, I'm not crazy. Um, and it's a good gift, but it's a, it's a personal prayer language. It's just between you and God. 
that leads to number three, the public language. So just because you speak in tongues doesn't mean you get to do it in church. Okay, just because you're like, oh, I can speak in tongues. Okay, you can speak in tongues in your shower. You can speak in tongues in your car. You can speak in tongues, right, at home, right? But at church, it's different. It's a different operation of a different gifting. It's a public. So this is when a person prays to God publicly through a tongue. And, and, and then oftentimes it's followed by an interpretation. Okay, if we don't have an interpreter, if there's not an interpretation present, okay, then we we'll probably just shut it down, hold on for later. Now's not the time for that. But also people who pray in the spirit with a private prayer language, Paul later in 14 says, you can also ask for the interpretation. Sometimes when I pray in tongues in my private language, I ask God for the interpretation and then he kind of reveals that to me and then I'm like, oh, cool, I'm praying for this. And so then I can pray in English for that. And so that's, that's interpretation. So those are, that's kind of the, the, the tongues, right? And that, that moves into the, the third, which is interpretation. Okay, interpretation is basically just being able to, to relay what somebody else prayed in tongues. That's, that's simply what it is. And, and that's what interpretation is. And so if there's a public tongue, right, then there needs to be an interpreter. But those who do speak in private prayer languages can ask for interpretations. So those are the declarative gifts. Now, those gifts, highly debated, those gifts, people are like, you know, splitting churches, divisive, con contentious, fighting over those gifts. And oftentimes they rise to more visible places. And, and because of their vocal expression, people are like, oh, that person, right? That person, the prophet, or that person, oh, everybody speaks into, or that person. So, so they elevate the gifts above actually what God expects out of the expression of the gifts. And so we just need to be careful about that. Okay? And, and so just because, just because it's more vocal gift doesn't mean it's a more important gift. See, we need to understand this. Church is not for our entertainment. The spiritual gifts are for our encouragement. That the gifts are designed to build people up for the common good. And when we begin to use our gifts for entertainment, then we've missed the point. The point is for the common good. And so he talks about the declarative gifts, and he's going to have some pretty strong words about the declarative gifts over the next couple of weeks. So it's important for us to know. The third is the dynamic gifts. Now, dynamic means power of God, right? The word dynamic comes from dunamis, which means power. And so these are just God's power in a person's situation. These are the dynamic gifts, the more extraordinary type gifts. The first is the gift of faith. Some of you are like, the gift of faith, right? Don't we all have faith? Right? Isn't that how we're saved? Saved by grace through faith? Not that anyone can boast for it's all a free gift? Isn't that what it means to be saved by faith? How, do we, how does somebody have a faith, right? Well, on one hand, yes, we are saved by grace through faith, and faith is a gift. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. God gives it to you freely, but there's a spiritual gift of faith. And what the spiritual gift of faith is, is basically divine confidence, right? You're just like a supernatural optimist, right? Everything's like, yay, Jesus, go, Jesus. God said it. God can do it. I believe it. Yes, go, Jesus. You're like the cheerleaders for the church. That's who you are. You're like, yeah, we can do it. Yeah, it's going to be great. They're very helpful, but they're a little annoying, right? Um, they have the gift of faith, and this is why it's super helpful, is because when you're hurting or, or when you're in doubt, you need to call somebody with the gift of faith, because when you're in doubt, you call them, you're like, I don't know, I don't, I'm really struggling with my faith. They have enough faith to believe for the both of you. And, and when, when, you're, when, you're, when you're going through a situation, they, they can see the light when you probably can't. 
And, and so we need to be surrounded by people who have a, have a gift of faith because, because they, they keep us believing. They keep us moving forward. They, they keep the, the, the engine going in the life of the church so we can accomplish everything that God has caused us, called us to accomplish. I, I really appreciate people with the gift of faith. They, they come in very helpful for me because I tend to get very down. I tend to kind of get very you know, melancholy and I, I get pretty blue. And so I, I like having people around me who have the gift of faith because they're like, Byron, I mean, anything's possible. We could totally do that, right? That sounds like a great idea. Oh, wait, you mean people on Mars don't know Jesus? We need to get a community group up there right now. Let's do that, right? God can do anything, right? I totally believe that. I know, you know we're down by seven on the 50-yard line. There's three seconds left, but the Holy Ghost is here. Anything could happen. Go, Jesus, right? Thank God for people with the gift of faith. They have a supernatural optimism about life. Praise God for that. The second is the gift of healing. Okay? Now, here at Redemption, we believe in healing. Okay? We, we believe it. We, we pray for people to get healed. We want to see people get healed. Now, does it happen all the time? No, but here's what we've discovered. The more people we pray for, the more people get healed. Does that make sense? The more people you pray for, the more people get healed. If you pray for zero people, you're probably not going to see zero healings. But if you pray for 10 and one, hey, that's, that's pretty awesome. And, and so, so we believe in it, and so we pray for it. But I need you to understand this, that um, just because somebody has the gift of healing doesn't mean that every person they pray for is always going to be healed. Okay, because people don't heal people, God does. And so maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't, but it's, not our, it's, it's God's responsibility to heal. It's our responsibility to pray. And so a person who has the gift of healing is basically a person who has the ability to combine faith and prayer together to be the conduit in which God works. Okay, that, that's, that's all it is. These people, they, they have the ability to pray the audacious, bold prayers. And even if it doesn't happen, they don't lose confidence. They say, God said he can do it. I'm just gonna pray. I'm just gonna believe because I believe that he can do it. And so they just love to pray for people who are hurting, people who are sick, people who are suffering. And so, so that's, that's the gift of healing. And the third is the gift of miracles. Now, do miracles happen? Yes. Do they happen a lot? No. Hey, that's why they're miracles. Okay, by definition, miracles are rare. If a miracle happened a lot, it would not be called a miracle. It would be called Tuesday. You're like, you're like, oh, hey, you know, the Red Sea parted. That's a miracle. Wait, never mind. It's Tuesday. Sorry, it's Red Sea Day. Like, just, no, no, by miracle, it means, it's defini- by definition, it's rare. I believe in miracles. We, we've seen miracles. We, we pray for miracles. We want miracles to happen because it's God's power showing up in a circumstance in very unique ways. I've seen miracles. I, I've seen miracles in people's marriages, marriages that people were divorced. The papers were signed. They were living in separate homes. The kids had been split. And then one of the spouses wakes up one day, totally, total change of heart, repents, asks for forgiveness, the spouse forgives them, they get remarried, and they're happier than they ever were before. That's a miracle that God showed up in amazing, powerful ways in life. I've seen premature babies gain weight, right? I've seen, I've seen God, people who have moved away from home, kids they hadn't seen in 20 years, strung out, addicted to drugs, come home, experience life change, get connected back into the family and reconcile with their mom and dad. I've seen miracles happen. Our church, I believe, is a miracle that we can start a church in downtown Beaumont in a bar with no money, with no building, with no people, with no staff and a bunch of 20-year-olds. That's a miracle. And we're still here. 
And in the last two years, we've baptized 40 people. That's a miracle that God's power is showing up in amazing ways. So those are, those, are, those are the nine gifts. So what I want you to do is I want you to go home this week and I want you to, to read through the list and I want you to ask, okay, God, what gift do I have? What, what, what gift do I have and how do you want me to use this gift? And so be praying, asking God, God, what do I have? And that, that leads us to the, the, the next big question, number four, is how do I discover my spiritual gifts? Here's how he says it. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ individually members of this. If you are a Christian, then you are part of the body of Christ. That as a Christian, you should be an active member of a local congregation. One of the ways that we discover and we grow and cultivate in our gift is by using it in the body of Christ. If you're not a member of a church, if you're not actively involved in a church, okay, then you're not going to be able to use your gift to the full potential that the gifts are designed for the common good and the building up and the encouraging of the body. And if you're not in the body, okay, then you can't use your gift to its full potential. And so, so he wants you to be a part of a local church. And God has appointed to the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, then helping, then administration, then administration, amen. Lord, please send administration and various kinds of tongues. What he means here is that God has brought each person into a local church by gifting them all in unique and different ways. And the reason he does it is so that way the church can continue to grow. That when each gift is working together, being used in a complementary way, then it produces the common good. But here's how Paul is getting at it. He's saying not everyone is going to have all the gifts at any particular time. That's why we need one another if we want to grow. Not everyone has all of the gifts. That's why we need everyone working together. And so here's how Paul says it. Verse 20, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? So Paul asks the question, is everybody an apostle? Well, the answer is no. Is everybody a prophet? Well, the answer is no. Is everybody going to heal and everybody going to speak in tongues? Okay, the answer is no. Okay, some can, some will, but not everybody. So the question becomes, what's my gift? How do I discover what my gift is? Trial and error. I believe that trial and error is the best way to discover what your spiritual gift is. That you pray, you risk, and you watch God move. That's the best way. That you pray, you step out in faith, you take a risk, and you watch God move. If you do that through trial and error, I believe you'll discover what your gift is. And so you say, okay, God, I'm gonna give this a shot. And you step out, and if people are like, like, hey, you know, oh, that was awesome, or hey, that was great, or hey, that really blessed me, or God showed up in amazing ways, right? You could be like, hey, that was pretty cool, right? That might be my spiritual gift. But if you step out and people are like, please stop, okay, probably not your thing. <laughs> But, but you have to step out. You have to risk. You have to be willing to, to experience that and through trial and error. Now, here's the cool thing about spiritual gifts. Okay, spiritual gifts are not um, mutually uh, exclusive. It means you can operate in one gift and you can still ask God to operate in another gift. That just because you have one gift doesn't mean you can't have other gifts at any other given time. They're not mutually exclusive. So if you have the gift of, say, you know, knowledge, you can also ask God for the gift of faith. 
If you have the gift of an interpretation, you can also ask God for the gift of miracles. And if you have, you know, the gift of um, wisdom, you could also ask God for the gift of interpretation. Do you see what I mean? At any given moment, you can ask God for different gifts, and maybe he'll give it to you because he distributes them as he pleases. And so you can ask God for multiple gifts. I believe that all Christians receive one gift at salvation, but through sanctification, the process of being made into the image and likeness of Jesus, we'll discover that we have multiple gifts through our life. And so if somebody comes up to you and they're like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm really sick. Can you please pray for me? You can't be like, I'm sorry, I don't have healing, right? You, you just probably have to go get sick and die somewhere, right? No, you don't do that. What do you do? You, you pray for that person because maybe in that moment, you might, you might ha- discover you might have a gift of healing for that moment. If somebody comes up to you like, Byron, I'm really struggling with my faith. I'm in doubt. I read the Bible. I don't know if God's real. Can you please pray for me? You can't be like, I don't have the gift of faith. Got to go to hell, buddy. Sorry, right? You can't do that. No, you, you pray for the person and maybe in that moment, God will give you the faith as a gift, do you see what I'm saying? And so don't, don't be like, oh, dang it. I hate my gift, right? I got interpretation. Like, this gift sucks, right? Nobody ever prays in tongues, and Byron's probably not going to let me use it in church. And this is, oh, I don't like my gift. God, why did you give me this gift? I got the reject gift. Like, like my, my gift's like the bottom shelf toy. Like, I don't, nobody wants my gift. I don't, like, God, why didn't you give me one of those cool gifts like prophecy? You know, not tongues, because that's weird, but miracles, right? Miracles, that'd be cool. Like, if anybody needs fire from heaven, I'm your guy, right? Come on, Hey, don't despise your gift. Utilize your gift. See, I think oftentimes when we elevate one gift, we exclude the others, and I don't think that's good. And, and, and when we do that, when we elevate one gift to the exclusions of others, not only does the church suffer, but I believe the Spirit's grieved. I think that God gave you the gift. He wants you to use the gift. He wants you to love the gift. He wants you to discover the gift. He wants you to cultivate that gift. God gave it. He wants you to to, to use it. And so don't despise the gift. Utilize the gift. The bottom line is this. I don't care what your gift is. I just want you to use it. I want to be a church that that gives people the the opportunity to, to grow, to cultivate, to discover, and to use the spiritual gifts for the glory of God and for the common good. And so how do we discover our gifts? Through trial and error. And that brings us to the big, final, last question of the day. Do we desire the gifts? Here's how Paul says it. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will still show you a more excellent way. Now, the church at Corinth is jacked. Okay, these people are crazy. They're insane. They're driving Paul crazy, okay? And they're, they're, they're making fools of themselves. And so, so the church is completely out of order. During the middle of the sermon, you know, somebody's shouting in tongues, right? People are prophesying against one another in the middle. Like people are running in circles, right? You have people getting drunk on communion. People are, are you know, eating all of the bread. They're taking money out of the offering plate. Like they're, they're sleeping with everyone and everything. This church is completely jacked. And Paul comes and he hears in the problems of the church and he says, okay, hey guys, there's, this is not right. This is not the way that a church should be. This is not the way that a church should operate. You're being childish. You're being immature. You're being selfish. The church is not about your own individual needs. It's not about your grandizing. It's not about your self-gratification. It's not, it's not about any of those things. This is not the way that it should be. And then Paul rebukes them because of the practices. Some people are like, we should be like the church at Corinth. We're like, no, we should not be like the church at Corinth. And Paul's rebuking for that. But here's the deal. In the middle of Paul's rebuke, he doesn't say, reject the gifts. 
He, he doesn't say, don't desire the gifts. He doesn't say, don't believe in the gifts. He doesn't say, don't operate in the gifts. He doesn't say, don't despise the gifts. In the middle of the conflict and the contention and the confusion and the chaos surrounding the gifts, Paul still tells them, earnestly desire the gifts, but find a better way to use them. Let's just chat. Because I know as I'm preaching this, people are like, this is new to you. Right? I know others of you are like, I just found this church, Byron, and if you make this one of those crazy weirdo churches, I'm out of here. Right? I just felt like I was finally welcomed. Like, I'm not down for that, okay? And that's probably what some of you are thinking. And others of you, you've been hurt by the church, or you've been wounded, or you've seen spiritual abuse due to someone mishandling, misusing their gifts. I want you to know, I'm right there with you. That over my life, I've seen people abuse the gifts. I've seen people mishandle the gifts. I've seen people take the gifts, elevate them above God himself, and then use it in a very authoritative ways to oppress others. I've been a part of churches to where men of spiritual authority who are supposed to lead, supposed to love, and supposed to serve have used the gifts to hurt. I've been a part of that. So I want you to know I'm right there with you. And, and I mean, I've been in church services where someone, a prophet comes to town and they're like, I prophesy, I see gold coins falling from heaven in your lap. And God wants to give you a tenfold blessing, but in order for you to receive it, you have to give me all the money in your wallet right now, right now, right now, right now, right now. If you don't do it, you won't receive it. And then the single mom did because she was desperate. That's wicked. I've been in you know, a church service where, where a woman walks up to me and she says, you are filled with demons. Satan has his hooks in your heart and I'm here to cast out the devil in you. I don't even know this woman. Like, why, why would you, that, how do you respond to that, by the way? Like, that's just kind of crazy. I, I, I've seen it, right? I mean, I, I've, I've seen in New York when I was living up there that they would do these healing crusades and, and somebody would, a healer would come in and you would have to pay $30 to have him pray for you in order for you to receive prayer. There's a special place in hell for people like that. So when I'm talking about the gifts, that's not what I mean. That's not what we're, that's not what we're talking about. That's not, that's not the way any of this should be. Okay? And, and so for every abuse, for every hurt, for every, for every hardship that I've seen, that I've experienced, the frustration, the bitterness, the anger in regards to the gifting, drew me further into the Bible. I'd go headlong into the study of the scriptures and I would read the Bible and I would read different books and I would read different blogs and I would study the scriptures and I would pray through the scriptures and I would meditate. I would read anything that I could to get my hands on to explain and understand what this is saying and, and how this makes any sense. And I would read the Bible and I would read the Bible and over and over again as I read and I studied, I got to a place where I believed in the gifts on paper, but I didn't believe in the gifts on practice. And, and I, I would say, I don't need the gifts. I don't want to be a church that operates in the gifts. I, I don't, that's, that stuff's weird. That stuff's crazy. That stuff's wrong. I don't want it. I don't need it. I got my books. I got my Bible. I got my, I got my doctrine. I have my theology. I don't want to be a church that operates in the gifts. I don't want to participate in the operation of the gifts because I have enough. I got this book and that's all that I need. And I became, and I'd read and I'd study and I'd pray. And the more and more that I read this book, the more convinced I was wrong because the same Bible that I teach, 
The same Bible that I preach, the same Bible that I, that I love, that I believe is the final rule and authority in the life of a believer, that, that, that this word is all-sufficient, satisfying, that it is the word of God, that it's God's revelation to us, this word that I get the privilege to preach and teach verse by verse, week in, week out here at Redemption. The Bible that I love is the same book that says, earnestly desire the gifts. So if you don't desire the gifts, you're disobedient to God. It doesn't matter what you've seen. It doesn't matter what you've experienced. It doesn't matter what your upbringing it is. It doesn't matter if you're Assemblies of God or, or Baptist or Presbyterian or, or Catholic. It, it doesn't matter what people have said or what you have seen. The only thing that matters is what this book says. It's the only thing that matters. And the same book that we love tells us, desire the gifts, but find a better way to use them. I don't think I've ever been a part of a church that has used the gifts in a healthy way to where every person is serving, growing, using their gifts. But just because I haven't seen it doesn't mean it's not possible. And if it's in this book, then it must be something God wants. And, and so what would it look like for us to be a church that figured this out? What would it look like for us to be a church that, 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 that married spirit and truth? That the word and the work would work together? If if this is possible, don't we owe it to ourselves to figure it out? If there's a way for this to happen, don't we owe it to ourselves to figure it out? I need that. I want that. And I know that many of you need that as well. I see the future for our church to be a church to where, to where people glorify God but they also use their gifts. That we can do it not for our own benefit, but for the, for the good of others. And if there's a way for us to marry the word of God with the works of God and the spirit with the truth, like a kid who eagerly desires a present from their father because they know that he loves them, shouldn't we also eagerly desire the gifts that our father has for us? Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption and we would love to meet you.